Hello and welcome to this special Halloween episode of Irreligiosophy 2.0, the one true podcast and the only podcast that thinks that secular education gives us the right to question the church. Who the hell do you think you are? I'm a trained psychotherapist. I know the difference between possession and a bad ham sandwich. Matt, that was my favorite exchange in Amityville Horror, by far. It was the best. By far. My favorite part about that exchange is that you have a bunch of Catholic priests arguing that it's idiotic to believe in possession. Right. (laughs) Oh, that was a great scene. Yeah, because this is where The Conjuring got its, like, its idea for that skeptical, you know, just throwing a bone of skepticism in a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just, uh, you know, it's usually just uh, pipes making noises, you know. Get the high priest. Oh, no, like, it's not possession. What are you, fucking nuts? That's crazy. (laughs) This is the church. Your secular education leads you, of course, to a belief in demonic possession, but the church is more rational. Yes. We don't believe in that shit. This isn't the Middle Ages. Take your secular demonic possession and get the fuck out of here. That's a quote right from the movie. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, we're going to do Amityville Horror. Uh, in this special Halloween edition brought to you. Jesus, if we get this out tonight, it'll be two days before Halloween, but probably several days after Halloween. I'm pretty sure we'll get it out on Halloween. I'm just telling you. Much, much more likely. No editing. Also, Chuck, (laughs) did you say special Halloween episode? Absolutely. (laughs) Why else would we do Amityville Horror? Uh, I don't know. Just to make that echoey sound, because there's no... (laughs) Matt's anthropological corner today! That is extremely disappointing, Matt. Why? Did you not have enough time to make up some research? Uh, Nothing has happened in the anthropological world since the last podcast. Yeah, we're all holding uh, any anthropological discoveries until after the outcome of the U.S. elections. Hey, um, before the podcast, Chuck, let's do some dicks. uh, Some skunk dicks? Yes! And I've got a skunk dick. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> hey, it's our favorite church, the LDS church, you know, the Mormons. Oh, I love the Mormon yeah. church. They had a great uh, article, an opinion, an opinionated piece. Like, if I want their opinion, we know how to get it out of them. Oh, goddamn well, watch General Conference. <laughs> Deseret News Opinion. In our opinion, dismissing Latter-day Saint religious voices is perilous opiate to the masses. He starts this, uh, this article off with the Karl Marx quote, Religion is the opiate of the masses. But they immediately make the observation that, in fact, religion opposes opiate for the masses. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what he meant. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't, I, that's, that's sentence number two, and I don't even, I'm speechless. <laughs> Uh, Karl Marx, uh, no, no, it's not what we do. We don't do drugs around here. Chuck, last week, uh, according to, uh, Desert News, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, the Mormons, uh, sent letters to, this is a quote, sent letters to local leaders advising church members four states opposed ballot measures that would legalize recreational marijuana and permit assist- assisted suicide. Oh my God! Right. So... 
here's the here's the part I wonder. As secular society puts forward policies that appear to be designed to maximize adult indulgence. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Assisted suicide. Yeah. You can't uh, indulge those bastards who've been excruciating pain like and yeah. at the end of their lives, you know, cancer-ridden. You can't give them any indulgences. Yes. Now, these these indulgences are often at the expense of collective civic virtue. I don't even know what that means. I'm going to be honest, Matt. I have no fucking idea what collective civic virtue means. <laughs> I assume he's trying to make some sort of, there's a responsibility we all owe to each other. Towards society or something. But, Some sort of know. public morality that we're all yeah. collectively well, sinning or not sinning. So therefore, it's necessary for religious voices to take strong stances on issues that affect public morality. Rather than squeeze these moral voices from the public square, as some seek to do, secularists should welcome faith-based discourse as an influence that enhances dialogue and often guides the nation towards better decisions. Ugh. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have so many things to say to that, but go ahead. <laughs> you pick the article, you start. <laughs> I'm sure you would probably have a much better, like, nuanced version of, you know, something to say about this. I'm going with, okay, first of all, fuck you. And <laughs> I, I second can, of all, I concur. with the two examples that they brought up, where where is your morality? Again, fuck from? you. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically on those two examples. Why, why is it immoral to use recreational marijuana? Why is that immoral? Yeah. And, and don't, don't uh, pretend to be an expert in morality. Fuck you. That you are an expert in nothing. Your uh, addition to the public square, you bring zero expertise to the table. Zero. Now, I'm willing, I'm willing to list those voices if, if they come with a discussion that doesn't include the words like, my religion says, or we believe because of our book, or, you know, if you've got a point to make that, hey, there is a, there is a possible downsize to legalize marijuana, make that point, but not just because we believe it's so, or God says it's bad, or your, it's a drug, therefore no. Your religion specifically is built upon a fraud. Don't tell me anything about morality when you worship a fucking con man. Can you make it any plainer than that? Uh, At at best, they have no expertise, and often it's the other way around. They are found, frankly, immoral. Uh, But secondly, I have an idea for you, uh, Mormons, Catholics, Hindus, Muslims. Uh, Preach to your choir. Preach to the people who are already converted to your religion. I think you'll have a lot more success. When you come into the public sphere and tell me, that, you know, and I don't smoke marijuana. I actually never have. But if I want to smoke marijuana recreationally, uh, I why not? Explain to me outside of your religion why that's a bad idea. And certainly assisted suicide. Oh, my God. If I own anything in this life, I own my own body. If I yeah. want to, uh, for you whatever reason, life. have someone assist me in my life, uh, I think that's one of the few inarguable things. Uh, that you have ownership over. So again, what's your what's your problem? And your problem, I can tell you what the problem is. God gave you that life. Well, fuck you. God, uh, you know, you have no evidence for any uh, supreme being. And even if he did give uh, that life to me, don't I own it? Isn't it a gift? <laughs> don't I own it? So shouldn't I still be able to? So as a matter of fact, your religious voices are distractions in the public sphere. 
Let's talk about outcomes. Let's talk about society as a whole. Let's talk about the interest the government has in these things. Let's talk about, if you want to talk about recreational marijuana, let's hear about scientifically proven dangers of marijuana. Let's hear about this yeah. stuff, right? That stuff seems to be relevant. But this bullshit about your religion have anything to say to me, a non-Mormon, or anyone else about morality, complete and utter bullshit. You preach to the Mormons, right? And 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 preach to your little group, and you can do whatever you want. But why would you ever want to avoid a society at large having access to recreational marijuana? That has zero to do with you and your group. Just the same as gay marriage has zero to do with Mormon marriages. Zero. Don't try to impose your stupid morality based upon a fraud, con man, or again, at best, Bronze Age mythology on me and my family. Yeah. Now, he, f- he finished the article with this uh, word of warning, Chuck. So take heed. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it started out really good. Yeah. <laughs> it finishes fantastic. Rejecting the wisdom of religion in our public agoras. Oh, nice use of agora requires rebuffing the robust correlations between heightened levels of religious activity and pro-social behavior such as healthy living, charitable giving, volunteerism, and civic engagement. For many, these behaviors represent the fruits of a collective wisdom retained within religious traditions and passed down through the generations. So there you go. Reject them at your peril. And now Chuck is dead. He's gone. He is silenced. I'm sorry. The wisdom. I'm of- I'm uh, hypnotized by his alliteration. <laughs> uh, uh, requires rebuffing the robust, and then he lost all. He lost. He could only do right. three. Rebuffing the uh, robust uh, correlations between heightened levels of religious activity and pro-social behaviors. Because if you're not religious, Matt, you are necessarily antisocial. Nope. Yes. Uh, healthy living, charitable giving. Volunteer, nothing, nothing, none of this is part of my life. I am antisocial. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I will true. admit to that, goddammit. I am antisocial. <laughs> I do not live healthy. Uh, oh, I give charity, but I give typically to atheist charities. Yeah, or, or secular charities. Yeah, I am civically engaged, so uh, fuck you, assholes. Two of, my, two of my biggest charities, Utah, the Road Home and the Utah Food Bank. Are, are those... But the Utah Food Bank is probably not, well, as much as you can be <laughs> separated from the church in Utah. But is the Road Home a religious charity? I don't know. i tell you, the, the two most recent charities I gave to uh, are Planned Parenthood and the Church of Satan. So, Well, they're doing good work over there. <laughs> they are. Although the, I don't know if they would even consider those charities because they're all non-religious. Uh, I don't even care if there's heightened if – if statistically speaking, there's heightened levels uh, of religious activity – that correlate with pro-social behaviors such as healthy living charitable. I don't care because any correlation uh, seems to be accidental. There are some religions religions that uh, promote stuff that leads to healthy behaviors. I think think there is a, a, you know, getting together every week is probably the strongest, right? That you you get together and you talk and... Yeah, yeah. The sense of community, but... You try to convince each other that your religion is true. That probably helps you live longer. Now, do I want to live longer if I have to do that to live longer? <laughs> it's like eating healthy food. I don't know if I want to live to be 102 if I have to eat vegetables all the time. Hey, 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 hey. Now, you ate you ate the asparagus I cooked. Remember, it was, it was pretty soaked, awesome. it was soaked in butter. So, mostly I was eating all butter right. with a tiny bit of asparagus. 
No, no. Sauteed in olive oil <laughs> with a little salt, cracked pepper, and garlic. It's fantastic. And Chuck ate it. I'm saying any benefits from religion, correlation does not prove causation. I mean, how many times do we have to say this? Any benefit from religion has to be accidental uh, because they have no definitive means for deciphering truth rather than falsity. And any um, behaviors or beliefs that lead to longer living, for example, or possibly even charitable giving. Jesus says, be charitable, right? Give to the poor, et cetera, et cetera. There, you have equally as many adherents of Jesus saying, give me all your money. <laughs> and they're not giving shit to the poor. I mean, how many of these televangelists are extreme philanthropists? Do you know any? Um, no, it seems like every time I find out about one, it's only a matter of time before I find out that they've been embezzling money or yeah. <laughs> using it for their private jet yeah. or gambling or hookers. Donating or or... to their own personal charity, which happens to go straight yeah. into their wallet. Uh, and again, each of these independently wealthy 12 apostles, how many of those are known for their charitable giving? I don't know any. Uh, are you talking about the Mormon ones? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know any. And the, the fact is, all that stuff is private, so we'll probably never know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say fuck you, Deseret News. And uh, it, really, if you want to impress people who are non-religious, then just preach to your flock. You know, yeah. if you don't want to marry gay people, then don't marry gay people. But don't enforce that on the rest of society. You have a long history of pulling shit like that. So uh, when you demonstrate that, that you uh, stop doing that and you stop trying to encroach on the public sphere with your ridiculous beliefs then maybe, you know, we'll stop trying to squeeze you out of it. Is that a fair deal? I'm not going to stop. <laughs> Keep squeezing. <laughs> fair deal. All right. What else you got? Let's, let's move on. You know the religious freedom bills, of course. We've, already, we've heard all these. Indiana uh, also has one, you know, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So basically you can not make cakes for people you don't want to. Hey, Matt, how many service. times do we have to restore religious freedom anyway? <laughs> it's it's an endless process, Jack. It must <laughs> always be restored. It's always under attack. Yeah. Vigilance. Or no, uh, what was that line from Star Trek? Eternal vigilance. That is the price we pay for freedom. <laughs> you mean the line from Thomas Jefferson? No, the line from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> the one... Uh, Picard says the data or somebody. <laughs> Pretty sure that's where it came from. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Who is this Jefferson you speak of? Sounds like some sort of founding father we probably did a podcast on. Sounds like an ex evangelical Christian founding father. <laughs> I was probably sleeping at that part. <laughs> Fuck anyway. you. Anyway. Fuck you, Wakefield. <laughs> so a mother cited religious freedom in her defense because she's in court for beating her son with a coke hanger. Listen, Matt, if there's one fundamental religious freedom there is, it's to beat the shit out of your kids. It is to beat the shit out of your kids. Now, you know, I'd possibly agree with that. Kids, you know, they need beatings. I mean, you, we've all got kids. With coat hangers. Until I saw the picture of the bruises on this kid. And if you want to look this story up, it's pretty fucking nasty. I mean, this is like some... Rambo coming back from Vietnam bruises on his back. This is pretty... They initially <laughs> charged her with felony battery. Yeah, which seemed completely appropriate. Yeah, usually they trump up these charges, right, so they can bargain back down. But I think that's probably... That's what she should have been uh, convicted yeah. of, felony battery. 
Jesus. Yeah. Pretty, pretty nasty. Now, her defense in court was uh, the following uh, Proverbs 23, 13, 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Sheol? Yeah, the pit. Sheol. The pit. Hell? Hades? Well, I mean, now I understand, you know. What's a few bruises compared to Sheol, Chuck? Jesus. So apparently uh, she was worried for her son's salvation with God after he dies. Yeah. yeah. Now, the f- one of the things she said is that she beat him because she was stopping her son from dangerous behavior that would have seriously have harmed his three-year-old sister. Therefore, she hit both children with a coat hanger before telling them to kneel and pray for God's mercy. This is according to court documents. Well, you know. Yeah. I was worried for my son's salvation with God after he dies, after I kill him. I mean, after he dies. True. No fault of my own, because the Bible told me they're not going to die. Yeah. So the possibly the worst part of this uh, is, is that an Indiana Supreme Court decision has already given parents the right to punish their children with cords yeah. or belts and possibly coat hangers. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, fantastic. Uh, good, good, good job, Indiana. Yeah. So they made an agreement to reduce the charge to a misdemeanor, and then prosecu- in exchange, prosecutors dismissed a neglect charge and felony battery. So, yay! Remember that those voices of religion, morality yeah. that want to be in the public square earlier. Yeah. Well done, Matt. This isn't true religion. Well, they're not smoking marijuana, so they have nothing to Sir. say about this. 36 bruises. It's... it's just, just like to point that out. 36 separate bruises. All right. That's as much skunk dicks as I can stand. Should, Let's, we, uh, should we even yeah. bother putting it in the computer? I don't know. Doesn't seem I necessary. I, I like using the computer. Ah, shit. We, we bought the computer. We might as well use it. We bought the computer with uh, funds that were donated through the Patreon account. Yeah. And... We got a special Halloween computer. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait. Stop the computer. We need the vote. Um, oh, yeah. My vote is for Amy Schumer and her formation parody. There's a lot of backlash against it. I don't know why, because I just heard about it. I don't know what a formation parody is. Matt, there's a lot of cultural appropriation going on. Unacceptable. Is that is that what it is? I don't know. I haven't seen either video. Oh. I'm changing my vote to Kylie Jenner. Because <laughs> she... She doesn't get why ballerinas are mad at her. Chuck, I could just be voting for articles that are popping up in my newsfeed. <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna vote for Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck personally uh, apologized to uh, vote. his listeners for recommending Ted Cruz <laughs> after Ted Cruz endorsed uh, Donald Trump. Glenn Beck was quite sorrowful and. Uh, Apologize. Oh, I loved it back when Ted Cruz was like, Donald, you are a lame son of a bitch, or whatever he said. And then later on, he's like, I loved it. Yeah. Stop. Stop attacking my wife and father, who may or may not have killed uh, Kennedy. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going with not. (laughs) Ted Cruz. But, you know, I've given it a lot of thought, and I think I really like this guy. (laughs) Where did that fucking come from? Uh, I know he insulted my wife, but really, he insults all women. And so my father. He's fair. He's fair. 
Uh, yeah. I feel like we're getting sidetracked. Matt, so. I think that Glenn Beck has, uh, I hope that is the beginning of a long list of apologies. We'll put it back in the machine. All right. And let's see what happens. Oh, my God. Uh, this may be the skunk tick of the year, Matt. Uh, Twelve jurors uh, acquitted the Oregon occupiers on all charges. Are you talking about Amon Bundy? Amon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, and apparently all of their cohorts. So uh, I would like to say, I don't know what happened. Um, I suspect that the prosecution got overconfident because of their literal mountain of fucking evidence that they had. Uh, One of the charges was carrying firearms inside of a a federal facility, which they have fucking video of. But, uh, you know, apparently if you're white... You can occupy a federal facility for what was it, forty-one days? Oh yeah, being white. Get arrested and in the process of getting arrested, one of your cohorts gets shot, suicide by cop. Right, you pull out a gun, he gets shot, and apparently you have no responsibility for any of that shit. You backhoe a bunch of uh, land, uh, including dig a trench that you just shit in. You destroy a bunch of federal facilities, cost the county thousands of dollars. And you just get a walk away for free. Yeah. We're just exercising our constitutional rights to occupy federal buildings with fucking firearms. No problem. No problem. Their whole argument was it's all about like the federal government's overreach, right? And how it's impacting them. Now, if you contrast this or compare this to what's going on in, uh, is it in South Dakota or North Dakota? I don't know. One of the... Fucking goddamn get your Togotas together. With the, with the Native American tribes that don't want a pipeline, which is could be argued federal, you know, Army Corps of Engineers are putting the pipe with you. Ah, it's federal overreach. They go out. They protest. What's going on there? They're getting their asses kicked. No you know, problem. They're getting, you know, fucking riot gear, rubber bullets. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not white. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Their their first mistake, Matt, was not being white. That, yeah, yeah. Big mistake. Clearly. If you're going to go occupy or protest, be white first. <laughs> it, it turns out so much better. I strongly recommend if you're going to storm a federal facility armed to the teeth that you're white. Yeah. Now, remember when federal authorities went out to uh, confiscate Clive and Bundy's cows? Yeah. And the whole militia showed up there? Yeah. And dick all happened. <laughs> Yeah, Nothing. apparently they're still um, they're still in custody. As a matter of fact, their Utah-based attorney uh, started arguing with the judge once they were found not guilty of the Oregon charges to just let them go. Uh, and the judge reminded him that they still have charges pending in Nevada stemming from the uh, what was yeah. it, 2012 uh, siege. And he started yelling and raising the voices. So federal marshals apparently tackled him and tased him twice. <laughs> Oh, in the courtroom. In the courtroom. That uh, was fantastic. Yeah. So, Your I don't know. lawyer just got tased, bro. <sighs> uh, you know, <laughs> that attorney got uh, more of a punishment for speaking, uh, like raising his voice in court than the Bundy's guy. I wonder, I wonder if he was white, too. I think so. Yeah, yeah. There's a picture of him on the article. Do not raise your voice at a judge while brown. Oh, no. Uh, he idea. probably would have got shot. <laughs> right. He was only dazed. Uh-huh. So he had to be white. Uh, so, yeah. Um, not only uh, did they get uh, 
off on all of the charges. But uh, all these idiot sovereign citizen groups around the country are fucking emboldened now. Oh, uh, you got to dispute, God. solve yeah. it with guns. Now I'm going to get to see this shit happen over and over. Yeah. You know, I think one of the problems here was that it's people with more knowledge about the law than I are saying is that they weren't charged with the, with the proper crime. Because one of the things they were found not guilty of was uh, conspiring to prevent federal employees from doing their jobs. And they were saying, no, we didn't, we didn't stop them. They could have come in and done their jobs. Look, <laughs> bunch of fucking rednecks. With rifles and guns, like at my job, I like right. I'm going in there. I'm not going like, anywhere near I'm there. I'm not going there. No fucking way. Not a chance. Holy crap! No, no, they could have come in. Oh, okay. Jury, jury of their peers, I guess. Yeah, they uh. said that you know it's not an endorsement of the the actions of the group. Well, yes, it fucking was. It absolutely one hundred percent was an endorsement of the action of the group. I don't know how you interpret that otherwise. And it's certainly how all the sovereign citizens are going to interpret it. I got a beef with the government. I don't go through the proper channels. Uh, I take my guns, I arm them up, and I fucking go to town. Well, that's what the Second Amendment's for, Chuck. Yeah. What kind of American are you, anyway? If uh, if any more federal facilities are stormed by sovereign idiots and any blood's lost, it's on the edge of these 12 people. Yeah. I'm I'm waiting for this to happen in Utah because Utah is currently spending, I believe it's about fourteen million dollars of my money to try to wrest federal lands away from you know the government. Yeah. To to put it to our own good use because we're be much better users of that land for everybody's. <sighs> All right. Okay. Like they win. Uh, so who are the skunk dicks there? The twelve jurors. Jury. Oh, the jury. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And Em and Bundy and the those guys are the winners. No, they were skunk dicks a long time ago. Um, yeah. it just seems yeah. like the most open and shut case ever in the history of uh, right uh, storming of federal facilities nope. with firearms. I mean, I, I so it's either a massive fuck up on the prosecutor's side, or uh, there there are twelve incredibly stupid people. Yeah, I do want to get to Amityville Horror, Matt. Let's get to it then. On to the meat of the podcast. Do you remember hearing about this, Amityville Horror? I remember the movie in the 70s and seeing it and being really scared at the time. I remember reading the book in my basement bedroom and coming to the part where the guy looks up in the window, his daughter's bedroom window, and sees like the silhouette of a pig with bright, glowing red eyes staring back at him. I couldn't read anymore. I was too scared. Whoa. When I saw that in the movie as a kid... It was very scary. When I saw it in the movie two days ago. <laughs> yeah. So so in research for this <laughs> podcast, I went over to Matt's house. And we watched Amityville Horror 1979 together. And uh, I was highly disappointed in the special effects. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is different, you know, watching something when you're seven years old as, as when you're 44. But I was expecting something really scary. And they just had fucking like... Wilbur from Charlotte's Web rooting yeah. around in the window. I mean, it was it was actual footage of a, an actual pig. I was trying to figure out how they did that effect too. I, I'm thinking they probably just hung like hung a sheet in front of the window and then projected <laughs> a pig like on it from behind, and then later on, like probably went in and literally painted the cells to make his eyes red, like how they used to do it. 
You know, it was one of those things where they're like, oh, God, this movie comes out two weeks from now. Well, just fucking let's get some stock footage of a pig and throw it in there. Just a pig eating some shit. It's like, well, man, I've got red eyes. Therefore, scary. This Amityville horror is, of course, based on a true story, probably the truest true story of any horror movie. This stuff actually happened. Yeah. Real. That's I think, scary. I think, yeah, that's why it's so scary. I think we can pretty much, but well, other than The Exorcist, <laughs> we can probably <laughs> uh, nearly completely blame this entire story on The Exorcist, which premiered in uh, December 1973. But uh, really, we can blame it. I think this Amityville got uh, off running because of an article that was published in Good Housekeeping in April of 1977. Good Housekeeping? <laughs> <laughs> a beacon of haunted house stories. Oh, yeah. It was entitled Our Dream House Was Haunted. <laughs> oh. Cuz you know, all uh, you know, good housekeeping is only read by bored housewives, right? Yeah, yeah. Who want to know how to keep their house clean. That's that's good housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> uh of course, uh Jay Anson then released The Amityville Horror, A True Story in September of 1977. And it went on to become a bestseller. I believe it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for eight straight months. The That's not bad. Eight months this was that on the bestseller list. Uh, so what actually happened? Well, the only, oh, sorry. Something. The, the only true part of The Amityville Horror is that sometime in the morning hours of November 13th, 1975, 23-year-old Ronnie... Butch DeFeo Jr. loaded a shotgun and murdered his father, mother, each of which, by the way, he shot twice. Shot his father and mother twice. And four siblings. Uh, each of those were shot once. Uh, all six victims were found lying face down in bed. But there's evidence that at least one victim was shot away from bed. That's Don DeFeo, Ronnie's sister. She had blood and brain matter in her hair, but there was no blood spatter on the headboard of her bed, which is white. You see in the crime photos, it's totally clean there is uh blood spatter on the floorboards and walls uh in the hallway i think of the same floor uh, which is likely where she was killed before being placed in bed uh initially ronnie jr told authorities he thought his family was murdered by the mob which did yeah it seemed plausible right because they all looked like they were executed right they're all right execution style killings uh but within 24 hours he he broke and confessed to all six murders and it was a demon that made him do it. Oh, not initially. <laughs> oh, oh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> he has something like 15 different stories that he's given uh, of the events of that night. So we'll probably never know. But it did, you know, initially it seemed very strange that six people who were spread out over two different floors uh, were murdered by one person. Right. And then the shotgun right. that he used was extremely loud. It was 140 decibels uh, each shot. So you'd think that, you know, a, a jet plane taking off, I believe, is 100 decibels. So you think that at least one person would wake up and escape, right? But no one escaped. So early news reports uh, started popping up about drugs being used to sedate the family, right? Okay. But when the toxicology reports came back negative, uh, people began speculating, well, maybe there was an evil force holding the victims down. And that's probably where the Amityville horror story got its start. That's where they went. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Shortly, yeah. 
Uh, it could be drugs. Nope, not drugs. Well, evil spirits, definitely. Evil spirits. Uh, so shortly after this, Ronnie Jr. began claiming that dark voices told him to kill his family. Again. Uh, insanity that, defense. Insanity that's, defense. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't actually work. He, he's, cur- he's currently serving six consecutive 25 years to life uh, sentences. Um, but initially it was uh, an insanity defense. Uh, so Ronnie went to prison, right? He, and he's still in prison. I think he's 60. Wow, still alive? 65 years old now, I think. Huh? Matt, it may surprise you to learn that he did not inherit the house. Um, I'm a little surprised. Do you lose do you lose inheritance rights just because you go to jail <laughs> for murdering everyone in your family? I thought you, if you murdered your parents, it automatically defaulted to you. Right. Apparently that's not true. We'll have to get some lawyers in on this, but Ugh. apparently that's Fuck. not true. Fucking government overreach. House went on the market, and uh, it was on the market for, I think, about a year until it was purchased by George and Kathy Lutz in December of 1976 for $88,000. Matt, that's about $40,000 less than the market price. Yeah. So it's on the river. It's on water. It's riverfront property with uh, a boathouse, too. Yeah, but ooh. Oh, that's like a kind of a dream thing of mine. So, you know, property. when oh, people okay. say you can't put a price on life, well, apparently you can. <laughs> 40 grand. Yeah. Mass murderers uh, apparently are worth about 40 grand off the market value of your home. Well, would you buy a murder house? I would definitely buy a murder house. Yeah, you like that gory stuff. 100%. I don't know, I don't know if I could buy a murder house, unless it was on a river, riverfront. <laughs> With a boathouse. With a boat. Oh. If it comes with a okay, if it comes with a boat, yeah. I'm. So the Lutzes moved in on December eighteenth, nineteen seventy-five. Matt, I was three years old at the time. This is all true story stuff, still, huh? We're still in the realm of true stories. Okay, and that ends right now. They claim that evil forces went to work on them right away. Uh, they apparently a priest, a friend of the family, blessed the house on the first day they moved in, but said he yeah. felt really cold in the sewing room. And he heard a voice, like a loud, deep, masculine voice, to tell him to get out. Get out. And he also felt okay. like, like someone <laughs> slapped him in the face. Oh, maybe I'd get out. Maybe that did happen. Maybe someone did slap him in the face. Right. Uh, later, blisters appeared on his hands, Matt. Well, we know what those are from. I don't think there's Go any on. mention uh, from the priest about flies like there was in the movie. So I'm a little skeptical about the flies. Yeah. To talk about the movie for a second, <laughs> that was such a weird scene to me that the priest goes out to the house, knocks on the door, nobody answers, so he walks in. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Matt, he's a priest. No one's going right. to question a priest. He's too <laughs> he honest. Then, then he goes upstairs to a particular room. Like, for what reason? I don't know. And he starts breaking out of his house blessing gear, right? Like a little this, a little that. There's some sort of a purple uh, priestly scarf. Yeah, he had some sort is. of scarf. Like, it, what the fuck is up with those right. stupid uniforms? <laughs> they like and a then, scarf, and then like later in the movie, he's got some sort of weird hood, and I don't know. Yeah, His priests are weird. And then he, and then the flies start coming out very slowly. I actually kind of like the scene because it was kind of creepy with the flies and they're covering the window. He starts coughing, the door slams shut, and then he's like, ah. <laughs> and then it's like, get out! And fuck, he got out. Oh, he got and out all right. That's what you do. You get out. 
Now, the priest claims he tried to warn the family multiple times, but there's always too much static on the phone, right? Yeah. Now, apparently, there is no such thing as cars or bicycles in 1975. Or even mail. Would you go back to that house, Chuck? Why can't he? Slapped in the face. (laughs) He tries multiple times to ring them, and he can't hear anything because they're static. Why don't you just fucking send that mail? You know, kids who are listening to this podcast, there used to be a thing called uh, mail, paper mail, where you'd write a little letter, fold it up, put it in an envelope and a stamp, and then like two days later, it would magically show up in someone else's mailbox. Chuck, the kids today, they call that snail mail. (laughs) Snail mail. Yeah, because it took him two. It was like a twenty-five minute drive, I think, from wherever the priest was to uh, the Amityville house. But yeah, impossible to drive back. As a matter of fact, I guess in the book and in the movie, he was driving away, and uh, he's in this car, and the hood of the car flips up and smashes yeah, his windshield. Great. And he keeps driving. Yeah, oh, the hood's that's, up. I can't see where I'm how, going. That's how scared he was. <laughs> Just oh shit, I'm continuing driving. to drive. Oh, now, the flip back to the real side. If you truly believed a family was in danger from demonic forces, you'd only call them a couple times. <laughs> and then you just, I guess, you just it's God's up. will after that. <laughs> well, I, I tried to call them. Oh, well. Just, and he pulls over the side of the street and vomits, too. It's like, uh, and then. Back to the movie. <laughs> you remember the nun, like a friend of the family or like her sister or something came in. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I can't stay in here. And then she left and vomits too. Yeah. What is the point of being like this servant of Jesus if it provides you no protection right. against the supernatural? Yeah, no. Like at least in D&D, when you're a cleric, you've got powers, you know? <laughs> you have actual magical power. You, you can do stuff. They can do nothing. Well, this seems... Attack by flies and throw up. It seems almost like a negative, like you're more susceptible right. to it. Right. It's worse. You're no, you're not even no help. You're worse than no help. You're oh. another problem I have to deal with. I feel like I'm going to vomit. I got to get out of here. They're like, wow, what's going on? I don't understand. I'm just fine. I feel great. Matt, also, they had uh, mental uh, status, like mood changes. Just four days into their stay, the children cracked a window pane and were disciplined with a wooden spoon. Now, that oh. was actually not at all unusual, according to Danny Letts, the son, who says he and the other children were routinely disciplined with a wooden spoon. So, a wooden, uh, like they don't have a hanger? What's their problem? Yeah. Yeah. Can't afford a coat hanger. A wooden spoon. Also, Matt, there were foul stenches in the house, which never happens. Well, they had a teenage son. <laughs> One room was filled with flies in the middle of winter time. Well, the flies have to take refuge somewhere, Chuck. Yeah. That that, that may have been, the foul stench in the room filled with flies may there may be a correlation there. <laughs> right. Uh for some reason this happened in our rotting meat room. <laughs> I don't It's supernatural. <laughs> uh later on that night, so this is December twenty second. Uh, Kathy Letts claimed that the 250-pound front door was blown outward and wrenched off its hinges. And I guess, like in the movie, he he just like shows up. He's like, yep, that is blown off its hinges. All right, let's go back to bed. Right. I believe (laughs) in the book he did the same thing. He's like, yep, that's blown off its hinges. So That's a pretty hefty freaking door. 250 pounds, yeah. Yeah. Over the next 24 days, so they only stayed in the house 28 days. So over the next 24 days, 
the Lutzes claimed all of the following happened. Windows were thrown open, bending their locks. Uh, a crucifix flipped upside down. That was shown in the Ooh. movie. Green. Uh, sorry, isn't an upside down crucifix still like just a crucifix? Yeah, wasn't Peter? Aren't there some churches that actually have like the upside down cross? Wasn't Saint Peter crucified upside down? Why is that still not a symbol of Christianity? Yeah, like God it still is. There are still some weird offbeat churches that have that shit going on. Jesus is like, uh, I'll respond to the. Right side up crucifix, but turn it upside down. No, no, I it, have no power here. <laughs> uh, it's upside down. So the crucifix flipped upside down. Green slime oozed out of like keyholes and and walls. Uh, beds and drawers slid rapidly back and forth. Kathy Lutz levitated two feet in the air. Where have you heard that before? What? That's like John Taylor when he wrote that Revelation. I will not sign this. I'd rather have my ru- uh, tongue cut out for the roof of my mouth, right? Didn't he, like, levitate two feet as he said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think anybody was around when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> as well as things they said. Oh, he's like, oh, no, it was like the one guy said he saw it. That's yeah, <laughs> one dude reports it. Uh, Kathy Lutz peered into a mirror and saw herself as a wrinkled old woman. Don't worry, Matt. Like, <laughs> six hours later, she got better. So, it's all right. Oh. Now, if you looked in yourself and saw yourself as a wrinkled old man, and you put your hands up and you felt wrinkles and crow's feet and all that stuff, what would be your first inclination? To look in a mirror. Uh, would you go no. back to sleep and cuddle with your spouse? Oh. Uh, Hope, ah. Hoping in the morning you would get better? Would you perhaps take a picture? I would. Knowing that you would have proof of paranormal activity? I'd what? probably be so freaked out, I wouldn't think about taking What did you collect some of the slime? Like, in the book, it says that he touched the green slime and then, like, puts some into his tongue. He's like, hmm, it doesn't taste like anything. What? It <laughs> tasted green? What? What, did you save some of that green slime? And Anyway. That's in the book that he tasted it? Yeah, he tasted it. Oh, like I it? always do that when I find weird slime <laughs> in the house. Running out, out of the, like, cracks of your walls. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Mm, it's I'm, not I'm, jello. Yeah, tastes like mold. Yeah. Matt, uh, cloven hoofed tracks they found in the snow. George Lutz was attacked in bed and struck by a heavy cloven hoofed creature. Okay, like a goat? They found like a big, heavy, humongous goat. Oh. They found red glowing eyes peering into their windows. A strange pig like creature appeared to their daughter, Missy, who she took for an imaginary friend named Jody. Oh, that was Jody. That was Jody. That brings up another thing. I love how all these fucking horror movies are like, oh, it's just an imaginary friend. And then, like, they show us the imaginary friend, and they're, like, fucking skeletal, or they've got black right. eyes or veins, you know, shit. They just look horrifying. But the kids aren't. They're not scared at all. Right. She's got the bullet hole in her head. Yeah. With, like, the back of her head missing. Right. Like, the exit wound. It's just my friend. That's my friend Jody. Jody says I should walk up on the roof and jump off. Okay. So, Matt, uh, all that happened, and, and, and lots of other made-up shit also happened. Yeah. So, um, the Lutzes fled their dream home after 28 days of uh, torture and torment. And remember, the, the final shot in the 2005 movie reminds us they were never they never returned to their home, right? Not even never for their returned. possessions. Yeah. Well, except they returned the next day to do a yard sale, so. <laughs> well. Yeah. Must, must have been really traumatic. Right. 
Well, I'm not leaving my shit behind. <laughs> I'll come back in the daytime. Yeah. Uh, anyway, three weeks after they fled the demonic forces threatening them and their children, they did an interview with a local news guy on Channel 5 Metro Media News. Because typically what you do after spending four weeks of the most terrifying weeks of your existence and you just relive those, the most terrifying events of your entire life on network oh, television. Yeah. Memories fade over time, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they, or they get replaced with more vibrant fake memories. Not even a month out. Hey, let's do an interview on the news. Uh, the, the news reporter said he had done extensive research, uh, much like what Matt does for these podcasts. Oh, I did extend, yeah. And he found that every inhabitant of that home and apparently all the homes on that property ever had problems with the supernatural. I believe this plucky reporter in his extensive <laughs> research. Apparently there was a, a home on that hill uh, or on that property before and, <clears throat> you know, was torn down before this one was built in 1927. So they talked of feeling the presence of some energy inside, oh. some unnatural evil that grew stronger each day they remained. It's because they did move the bodies, Chuck. They moved the headstones, but they did move the bodies. Do you know that that means the Lutzes are massive super pansies? They only lasted 28 days. The DeFeos lasted nine fucking years. Lutzes oh. lasted 28 fucking days. I like how in the two, the 70s movie and the 2005 version, uh, down in the basement, I, I don't know what the hell it was supposed to be in the old 70s, the original movie, where like he breaks through a wall and there's a hole in the floor, and it's like red lights, and we never find out what that is. Yeah, it's in like the, like some pathway to hell or something, right? But in the 2005 movie, there's like a whole series of like there's like a cavern with like yeah. cells and and weird, I don't know, crazy some monsters. Like <laughs> Reverend Ketchum was sacrificing, I don't know, Native Americans or something. Yeah, it was like this giant, and it all ends in this giant circular chamber with some crazy looking priest guy. Yeah. Which would be awesome to find under. Can you imagine you went down your basement, you broke through a wall, and there's a whole like secret labyrinth of rooms. Oh, <laughs> oh, if only. God. If only. How cool would that be? Not so, some, just some glowing hole in your floor. What do you do with that? <laughs> a couple days after uh, they had this uh, Metro Media News report. They held a joint press conference with Ronnie DeFeo's attorney, uh, who said he was launching an investigation of the house to determine if he could get a new trial for his client, right, who had already been found guilty on all the charges. They somehow rejected the not guilty by reason of insanity defense. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, if, if you were, and he said he was, he's going to <laughs> commission studies uh, to see if the occurrences were natural or supernatural. So, Matt, oh. imagine for a second you're a slimeball attorney hoping to get your obviously guilty client out of prison. Who would you call to investigate the possibility of a paranormal occurrence? Who are you going to call? I think that question answers itself. You got it. The Warrens. Oh, the Warrens. oh, where have I heard that name before? The Warrens. Lorraine and Ed Warren. Uh, who we know from such films as The Conjuring. And The Conjuring 2. <laughs> right. Right? Uh, we know that they're not your normal charlatans. They're highly skeptical charlatans. Yes. 
So yes. remember when they said, oh, no, most houses aren't haunted. It's usually just the pipes. Right. So what do you think these it's two... It's a good thing they call these qualified <laughs> Razor-sharp skeptics. What do you think these two found when they entered the Amityville house? Pipes. You got it. Just pipes. No, unfortunately not. Lorraine found an evil presence, and Ed said he was attacked by a supernatural entity while checking out the cellar. <laughs> oh, God. So Ed is in the basement, and he got attacked? He, Matt, he fought off the entity by reciting <laughs> prayers, which apparently never occurred to the Catholic priest who blessed the house in the first place. <laughs> So, Ed Warren, more powerful than a priest. No wonder the Catholic Church keeps calling them to investigate this right. shit. Uh, so, uh, a few weeks later, a TV station invited a bunch of paranormal uh, investigators, including Ed Warren, to the house for a seance, right? Oh, my so. God. Sorry. Sorry. Paranormal investigators. <laughs> yes. So, people that show up and go, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Wait, shh. Make yourself known. <laughs> yeah, those type of investigators. Again, highly skeptical. So, Ghost hunters. During this seance, uh, one of them declared, It's upstairs in the bedroom. Another psychic had to leave what? the table because he became violently ill. Okay. And Ed Warren said he had severe heart palpitations that lasted for three weeks. I'd probably become violently ill if I witnessed all this. <laughs> Matt, the non-psychic journalists there were unimpressed. Uh, anchorman Marvin Scott said, The only voices I heard that night were my crew wanting to know when we were going to eat the sandwiches we brought along. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I ever heard. A bunch of people sitting around going like, Did you hear that? It's upstairs. I'm hungry. So, so ridiculous. What am I going to eat? So, Matt, er, er, now now we get some actual investigators coming in. So, early on, uh, there were some fairly good investigations of the Amityville horror. And there are a couple of investigators um, who were all over this stuff. They actually tracked down, in the book, the priest's name was Father Mancuso. But they actually tracked the uh, actual priest down, whose name was, I think, Ralph Pecoraro, and interviewed him. And uh, he told them that, you know... It wasn't like in the movie, but uh, he said, you know, it felt like it, I didn't hear a voice telling me to get out, but it felt like the house was was like conspiring against me and uh, and trying to get me out. And so he, he was kind of backpedaling on that. Right. Right. So then in uh, 1979, that priest was interviewed on the In Search Of show hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, that's right. In search of. So he doesn't give his name because he's worried about ruining his reputation, I suppose, or backlash from other priests. Uh, so he's he's interviewed in shadow, and he says a bunch of shit like uh, like everything happened. Right? He said no. There's. It felt really cold. I heard a voice telling me to get out, and it feels like someone slapped me in the face. And a couple you know weeks later, blisters appeared, and the doctors couldn't. Uh, tell me what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. But later, he was called to testify in court because there are a bunch of lawsuits that, that are, you know, one of them was by the attorney uh, who yeah. claimed credit, right? Um, there are a bunch of lawsuits. One of these lawsuits uh, subpoenaed this father, and it was released in 2001. 
And the, the priest basically said, nothing happened at all. I didn't even go in the house. Oh, so uh, much like, you know, I, what, what surprises me here is that a Catholic priest who was taught to be scrupulously honest by Jesus himself has so many different versions of the same event. But the one version he gives when he's under oath yeah. is that he never went into the house. And he, he just told his friend, Kathy Lutz, when she told him he, she was moving into a new house, he said, oh, great. We'll say a mass for you in church. Enjoy your new house. Oh, thanks. So uh, very early on. Uh, the nail in the coffin was put into this whole story uh, when so the book was very successful and the movie is just about to come out. Around that same week, the attorney who defended Ronnie DeFeo blew it wide open. So he had a press conference and he announced that he had uh, made up the entire story with the Lutzes over a bunch of wine. And his uh, idea was if he could establish that there were dark evil forces in the house, then he could get a new trial for his client, Ronnie DeFeo. Now, why would the Lutzes go along with this? So that's a good question. Why did the Lutzes purchase it in the first place, right? They're looking around for a new house, and they're looking in the thirty dollars to $50,000 range. They ended up with a house that cost $88,000. Because, why? Because it was such a good deal. $40,000 less than the market price. Yeah. But unfortunately, very rapidly into it, he starts having problems at his uh, place of business. He can't make payroll. And you can see part of this in the movie, right? He's, he's becoming under increasing stress. Yeah, yeah. This, this buddy of his is coming saying, hey, your, your payroll check can't make it. And for some reason, in the middle of the movie, uh, one of their relatives is having a wedding and they have $1,500 in cash for the caterer and it falls off the back of the couch and the ghosts take it. Right. Just immediately disappears. <laughs> what, that. what are ghosts going to do with $1,500? Shit, throw a kegger. <laughs> ghosts are like, hot damn. Uh, wad of 20s. This is fantastic. The ghosts were just, that was just part of their their torture program for uh, the father. Yeah, to increase the stress. Play, played in the movie, by very BG's looking oh, yeah. James Brolin. That is one manly man. That is oh. the most impressive beard and hair I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, Ryan Reynolds can't even, he shouldn't no. have even tried. My God. He pretty much just looked like he did in Blade Trinity. He's like got a, a stylish short do, beard, and he's ripped as shit. Not nearly as 70s as James Brolin. No. James Brolin had that perp because he had that. That kind of uh, boofy, uh, uh, feathered, yeah, uh, Charles Ingalls look yeah. with the beard, and then that like that kind of strong body, but just with that edge of seventies like softness to it, you know, because people people they get it all veiny, ripped back in, you know, right, like just kind of the natural William Shatner or Gil Gerard, yeah, yeah, yeah no question. No question, James Brolin wins the battle of those two, George hey, Lutzes. Now, who would you, would you go with Margot Kidder over... I'm going to go with Margot Kidder on that forgettable one. actress. Who's in the <laughs> I'm going to go with Margot Kidder on that one, too. Yeah, there was really, literally no reason to remake Amityville Horror. No. It, it was so similar, too, as it started, like the first part of the movie. Like, yeah. Literally just copying the first movie, almost like they find the house... 
315 on the clocks. He starts getting annoyed. The kids are annoying. And then they don't have the cool priest scene. So, which at least didn't happen for like an hour into the movie for some reason. Yeah. So strike three. Yeah. Strike three. Uh, So in addition to these money problems they're having uh, rapidly declining, uh, he, he's trying to save money, right, by moving his boat in, and he's trying to move the, his business into his house so he can not pay rent. Uh, so clearly, uh, and this is in the book as well, clearly he's having monetary problems. The IRS is looking into his, auditing his business, and the property values in Amityville are tremendous. So he, sure, his house is $88,000, which is about forty grand more than he was looking to buy. But all of the houses around him are over $100,000, so the property taxes are ludicrous in Amityville. Right. So he's got tons of financial problems, and I think they didn't even make a single house payment. Um, they, they last 28 days and then uh, left the house. So my guess- ah, perfect timing. My yeah, guess is, it. yeah, no mortgage, right? My guess is that they uh, very quickly wanted to uh, do something, anything- that uh, would turn their finances around, both the house, the business, everything. Um, yeah, it's funny in both movies, his his money problems are portrayed as like because he's going crazy from the demons in the house. Right. He's not paying attention to his business, right? You know, right? Probably not true. <laughs> yeah, Pro- probably not true. So uh, they hit upon this, right? And they, they do a couple articles and, and it, you know, gains them some fame. They've got some paranormal investigators who are agreeing with them. Why? Because they're uh, charlatans, of course. Uh, and the, the story's growing and they get a book deal and they get a movie deal. And that's why uh, Weber sued them, right? He sued them for $60 million because he said, essentially, I made all this stuff up. And he gives details like... Um, he said, well, the, the cops think that uh, DeFeo shot everyone at 315. And he says, well, and that's what Kathy Lutz said. Oh, good. So I can say that I woke up every night at 315 dreaming of the DeFeos, uh, like is exactly what happened in the book and the movie. He said right. that uh, he showed them pictures of the crime scene, which uh, had toilet bowls that were black. And uh, that eventually made it into the book. And I believe the second movie with all the sludge that came up, but yeah. he, um, he attributed the blackness of the toilet bowls to fingerprint powder, right? Why is fingerprint powder doing in the toilet bowl? Listen, man, you got to be thorough in this shit. Matt, what if, what if you found demonic fingerprints in the toilet bowl? Oh. And they got to climb out of somewhere. Oh, like ghoulies. Yeah, there's exactly. An old, there's an old movie for you. <laughs> God. Ghoulies, it's just a gremlin's ripoff. <laughs> so apparently, clearly, there's a, a monetary motive. There, uh, there were, I believe, somewhere around 14 lawsuits, and this is this is where we get most of the actual information because these guys are under oath. In, in one of the lawsuits, George and Kathy Lutz are essentially forced to admit that nearly everything in the book was pure fiction. Yeah. So uh, the judge found that uh, that it was essentially a, a fictional novel that was um, largely made up by William Weber, 
Um, and, and remember, he's testifying. Yeah, he's testifying to try to get $60 million, but he's testifying against his own interest because he's possibly ruining his career as an attorney by saying eventually that he's willing to make up shit to defend clients. Right. <laughs> or maybe everyone, you know, loves him because he's, hey, that's the attorney I want. Get me off all the shit that I've done. Right. They weren't able to, you know, if you go back, these investigators early on went back and looked at all of the weather events that were in the book. And, the, you know, when they said that there were, they found cloven hoof prints in the snow, there was no snow on the ground. Uh, when they said that it was raining, clear skies. Well, I think there was like one where he said he looked up and, and saw a pig in the window and the moon was full. Well, on that night, it was like a three-quarter moon. I mean, they, they got like nothing right. Right. If you, if you said something that was verifiable, it, it's absolutely false. I think they got one thing out of the book right, which is like a gust of wind at one o'clock in the morning. And that, that actually did match up to me. So the whole thing must be true. Uh, yeah, it's all true. It's all, all true. So, um, Matt, the, uh, the facts of the matter are that the initial haunting has none of the events that later became famous, right? In the initial good housekeeping article, there's no levitation. There's no talk about the priest getting out. There's yeah. uh, no talk about uh, green slime or anything like that. That all came later, right? Just like all this other stuff that we see that's made up, right? Right. This is what happens with fake stories. They get bigger and bigger and bigger in the telling. You you talk to the uh, Cromartis who moved in right after the Lutzes. They bought the house for $55,000. So apparently a haunting 28-day demonic possession is worth $33,000. So that's the secret to a good deal. <laughs> Murder house, then a haunting. Get it demonically then possessed. Buy. Then yeah. you swoop in. Okay. So um, he said green slime oozed out of this particular keyhole. She went uh, and showed these uh, reporters that on that particular door, there was no keyhole. There was just a, a plate on there. Remember the door that was wrenched off, the 250-pound door? Ah, yes. Wrenched from its hinges. Uh, Original door, still standing, no damage to the hinges, nothing replaced. As a matter of fact, those investigators visited local repair shops. Uh, No one had been visited by the Lutzes to get any repairs done. So you looked at the windows, right? That The windows were thrown open and their locks were bent. Nope. You could see the original original paint, original varnish. No, No problems there. You remember the the police arrive in the movie, right? Like halfway through. Oh yeah. Uh, police. First were... movie or second movie? I can't remember. Uh, police were never called. Um, there's there's no evidence uh, during the the records of the time, their 28 day stay, that the uh, Lutzes ever called the police. Now, Matt, if you saw red eyes glowing and looking at you from outside, or even before that, you know what you assume were acts of vandalism, like the windows opening up and and closing up. Isn't the first thing you do talk to the police? Um, yes, I'm white. I'll call the police. <laughs> it's safe. Uh, so no, the, uh, no records they ever called. And the son of the police chief at the time said, no, no one was ever called. And also, Matt, after the Lutzes moved out, there's several inhabitants uh, of that same house at 112 Ocean Avenue since including the Cromarties. The Cromarties had to leave. The only complaint they have, there's nothing supernatural. The only complaint they have is that the story is so famous that they have these assholes uh, sitting at their, on their property taking pictures all the time, like all hours of the night. People like uh, that are 
um, looking at the house, taking pictures, et cetera, et cetera. That's their big complaint, invasion of privacy. Oh, yeah. No, no supernatural event occurred any time after this. So my conclusion is, uh, given all this information, that uh, the house at Amityville was actually demonically possessed. And then Satan was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys are getting way too public on this shit. You got to dial it back. <laughs> he kind of reined in his little demonic inferiors. And uh, so, look, I'm, we got to put a lid on this shit. Okay, we got to stop being so obvious. And uh, now they're, they're just focused really on making people atheists now. Oh, so it's an atheist movie. Yeah, so uh, Satan's new, like after the 70s, he thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting people not to believe in either Satan or God. That's his new strategy. Ah, that seems, uh, well, that's kind of a win for him still, you know? I think so. Partial win. Hey, as a quick review for this movie, 70s or 2005, which one's better? Definitely the 70s version. Hands down the 70s version. Yeah. The 2005 version, very forgettable, extremely drawn out ending. Yeah, kind of pretty much ever standard like horror meme like ah boo scare you know i'm dead no i'm not dead <laughs> i will say the special effects much better in 2005 yeah 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 they were a little that kind of if you go back and watch the original one yeah those when they the pig in the window and uh that totally took me out the blood in the walls because you can clearly see the holes that they, <laughs> they're seeping out of. That they're seeping out of. Really low budget, yeah. Yeah. Kind of detracts from it, but but overall scarier. But Still it's confusing. the 70s. I mean, yeah. my Back God. Back then. It was so awesome. But the 2005 remake never should have happened. I don't know why it happened. I don't know. And you but know it, that there have been something like 11 or 12 Amityville horror fucking movies. What? TV Not shows. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. God, I missed them all. And I think they're going to reboot another one in like 2017 or 2018. So we we have not heard the last of the Amityville horror. Ah, well, that's what they, you know, it's it's name recognition. (laughs) I think. They'll see the movie. I think you can't keep a true story down. Yeah, that's probably it. (laughs) You can try to debunk it, but the truth keeps coming out. It's funny that. This was debunked like nearly immediately, like within uh, like before the movie was even released. I think maybe before the book was released, these two investigators got like an advanced copy and they just debunked the shit out of it. But again, it, it's proof that, you know, don't tell me this. The start of Christianity was supernatural or had to be supernatural or that, you know, if you uh, say one incredible thing, that there's a bunch of people saying, no, 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 that's not true, that that will stifle it. Never. The more sensational shit, the better. That always wins out. Yeah, well, who's going to see a movie about a demonic possession or, you know, a demon house that immediately gets debunked and then they leave and somebody else buys the house for a great deal? (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't, it doesn't make good cinema. (laughs) No. Oh, that's why skeptics don't write movies. (laughs) Okay, I've got this thing about where aliens come to visit the Earth. But it turns out it's just some people making up shit. That's we're gonna we're gonna make the story of some signals that a lot of people think are alien in nature, but right. the truth comes out as a bunch of scientists 
do a bunch of calculations and it turns out that their theories are verified and uh, it's not supernatural after all. It's just background noise. Riveting. Riveting drama. I tell you, I'd I'd watch a a Amityville horror over that movie any day. (laughs) Well, is that it? Is that the end of our special Halloween episode? That's the end, Matt. Hey Chuck, did you notice how James Brolin really looked like a freaking BG in uh, the original uh, Amityville Horror? You know how I could tell? How could you tell? Well, I could tell by the way he uses his walk. Was he a woman's man? No time to talk. Music loud and women warm. He's been kicked around since he was born. And now it's all right. It's okay. You may look the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times effect on man.